It's a late night Saturday night. Tom Crawford's busted out his white polyester suit. He's ready for leisure time because he's got to think about something else other than Michigan football. We're going to lead with the Wolverines and the Badgers. A little bit later on, we'll recap the Spartans and the Northwestern Wildcats. We've got the Clint Eastwood here. We've got it all covered. The good, the bad, the ugly. The good, Michigan State. They're winning against Northwestern. Very impressive and almost as impressive. Michigan had both the bad and the ugly covered. Let's go by the numbers that stand out to me. How about 0 for 10 on third down for Michigan? How about time of possession? Over 41 minutes for Wisconsin to under 19 for Michigan. How about for the third straight game, the Wolverines fumble away the football on their first possession? I guess the silver lining this time was at least it wasn't Shea Patterson, but he did not escape unscathed. He had a brutal game. His completion percentage under 50, 14 for 32. Two touchdowns a pick, another fumble by him. It would be later on in the game. The rush defense for Michigan, abysmal. They give up 359 yards on the ground, 23 carries for 203 yards to Jonathan Taylor, 8.8 yards per carry, two touchdowns. The Badgers scored on their first possession, a 75-yard drive that went 12 plays and took 625 off the clock, and they would build a 35-0 lead by the beginning of the second quarter, and this game was in the barn. This was over. We bring in Tom Crawford, of course. The Great Lakes Divide podcast is brought to you each and every time by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Proud sponsor, Heather Frowry. The music you hear coming in, going out, is available at her store, and new music is available every Friday. I'm Ryan Schuling, Tom Crawford. We know that you were following this game from afar, but I got to tell you, it was far from good, and I didn't have to watch it to know what was going on. All the numbers I just recited, the game itself, your reflections on it, what happened here, what the hell was that? Well, let me start out this, Ryan, and, and I'm in Pennsylvania here. And I, I couldn't be further away from it. I'd love to get far, far away from Ann Arbor right now. This is a sad, sad time, I think, in Michigan football because for a lot of reasons that we'll get into. But, you know, they talk about – Michigan, the, the experts, they have an identity problem. No, they don't. They, they know who they are. They're not very good. They're just not very good right now. And, they're, and they're, they don't execute well. Um, they, you know, once again, back to the turnovers that we talked about, I, I had feared, well, can they stop the run? No. Uh, they have an offensive line that, that returned four kids this year, uh, seasoned veterans, in contrast to Wisconsin, having four new starters on their front offensive line. And look what happens. Michigan just gets absolutely abused. This is one of the lowest moments. I ranked this up there, Ryan, with a 31 nothing debacle uh, that Brady Hoke suffered mm. to Notre Dame because they just played total – I mean, they just looked pathetic. I mean, it was almost a visual grab that you said, that's not a very good football team. In fact, it's a really bad football team. This tweet from Kyle Rowland, I believe from the Toledo Blade, Michigan now under Harbaugh. This is updated 0-4 against Ohio State. 1 and 9 against top 10 opponents, 0 and 7 as an underdog, 1 and 6 on the road against ranked opponents, five losses by at least 21 points and here's the most concerning part of all to me Tom, of those five losses by at least 21 points, that includes three of their last five games. It's not getting better, it is getting worse. We go back to the Ohio State loss last year, the Florida loss in the bowl game, this one here today. 
why is it that Michigan just, they don't look like they belong on the same field as those three teams, Ohio State, Florida, and Wisconsin? I don't know, because the talent supposedly is there. Many experts, many recruiting experts will talk about the talent that's there. Um, this team had two weeks to prepare for this game. I know Wisconsin did too, and Wisconsin was on a roll, and sometimes people think, oh, God, Wisconsin doesn't need it to, to have a bye because they're on a roll, it'll simmer them down. Uh, Don Brown was salivating, oh, we get to play a conventional team, you know, we don't have to play somebody like Army. I don't care who they're playing right now. I don't, you know, right now, I mean, sometimes when you watch a team and they lose, if it's your team, you say, uh, you, you have this feeling that, that they're never going to win a game. And then when they win a game, you feel like they're never going to lose a game. It's just, that's how, that's how it goes back and forth polarizing. But when I look at that schedule, and as we speak, as we're taping this right now, I mean, Notre Dame is playing Georgia very competitively yep. in Athens. Um, Ohio State had a had a you know a really dramatic uh, seventy six uh, <laughs> five come from behind victory today. Um, I mean that I mean that was impressive. I mean, my God, Michigan State now bounced back. We know how Michigan State prepares for Michigan and emphasizes that game. They still got to go to Happy Valley, um, Maryland on the road. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, here I had this a vision of 11 and 1, and now I'm looking at the schedule, and it's like, well, it's good that Rutgers is there next week, but don't take anything for granted. Tom, this game, to me, it changed so much in that I thought, like you, this would be a knockdown, drag them out, kind of old-school matchup back in the Bo Schembechler days. You had Michigan winning 17-16. I had Wisconsin winning, but in a close, low-scoring game, 24-20, but the fact remains the Wolverines got blown apart on both sides of the ball. I can't think of one positive thing to take away from this game. And how about this tweet, Tom, from the all-time great Jake Long of Michigan? He says, and he has video posted on Twitter, out of everything today, this bugged me the most. I don't care if you're down by 100. You don't walk onto the field like that, good or bad. Finish the game with a purpose. The Wolverines trailed 35-14 at that point. I mean, how much of an indictment is it that a guy like Jake Long takes to Twitter and fires off something like that? Well, then that combined. I mean, and then you had Charles Woodson at halftime with Urban Meyer. You know, you know how, how, that must have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and he, he, he's, he's speechless. I mean, I mean, you you see these veteran Michigan players of the past. Um, and, and offensive lines, Jake Long was probably in the best, I mean, the last decent offensive line that Michigan had. I mean, they, I, I'm totally discouraged because, yeah, we, we had the Rich Rod era. Hey, we got to get we got to get a Michigan man back in there. We got Brady Hope. We thought that would work. No, that's not, that's not going to work. Then we get to legacy. So we, we, we grab our legacy. But the legacy has zero legacy wins in his fifth year mm -hmm. I, I guess you could say beating florida 40 to 7 or whatever um was a, a quality win back to his first year in the bowl game um but no this is this is incredibly discouraging my phone's been blowing up oh yeah uh with text messages from my michigan buddy thread we have a big thread um i mean i, I saw some comments from from you know you know love goggled michigan wolverine fans that i i, I couldn't believe what i was seeing and uh so it, it this is a really it's going to be an interesting season moving forward to Michigan because there's so much of a long season to go. Yet there's a daunting task in front of them. Even the home games, uh, yeah, they can't win the road. We got that. But now they're going to probably lose home games because Iowa, homecoming, 
you know, October 5th. That will be interesting. What the what if that goes south? Those fans are going to go. They're going to have a meltdown. And then obviously Notre Dame on the 20th or on the 26th of October, and then November 16th and November 30th against Michigan State and Ohio State. And now that Ohio State game on November 30th. People are just cringing how bad that could potentially be. And this is only one loss, Tom, but it feels like so much more. And I'm not trying to overhype it, but when I look again across the board at all the you numbers, can't you can't, you can't do it. You, you, you can't. You're not overstating one thing, Ryan, because of all you, you, you laid it out perfect. Of what happened at the last of the, the the last part of last year, rolling into this year against good teams, Michigan can't run the football. No, they can't. That against a good team, they're not capable of running the football. Then you have a major problem in Power 5 college football if you can't run the football. Well, let's look at it this way. I mean, the rushing attack, again, comparing yards on the ground for Wisconsin, 359 to Michigan's 40. Dylan McCaffrey was the leading rusher for the Wolverines. He had three carries for 21 yards. That would have ranked him fifth on Wisconsin's roster. Again, up front. In the trenches, where you got to win or lose these games on both sides of the ball, Tom, the Wolverines were pushed around like they were a MAC team against Wisconsin. Yeah, I, and it's not like you're you're dealing with a you know the, the speedy Ohio State. Oh, those shallow crossers will get you every time. It wasn't that kind of situation. They just got blown off the ball, and then Jonathan Taylor when he kicked it outside on his what eighty what whatever that that 72. touchdown run was after the Ben Mason. I think was that after the Ben Mason fumble and they turned that you know they flipped the. They kind of flipped the whole game. Is that? I'm trying to think back. No, in my research, it, it, it's all a fog of war right now. I'm it, sure. it is. Okay, but that, but did you see? I mean, you, you know, sometimes you have the C part. I mean, the C didn't part. It was just there all to, for the taking. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it was it was unbelievable how much space, how much separation he had that close to the line of scrimmage, and how we know how fast he is. Where's the pursuit? It's and and so Don Brown all of a sudden. Uh, looks like you know a pretty flawed DC right now. I think in my mind, thirty-five fourteen. The final score. We'll continue with our analysis here. Some uh, a bright spot, I guess you could say. Once again, was Ronnie Bell. He had two grabs for eighty-one yards, including one big one for sixty-eight. But Donovan Peoples-Jones, a non-factor. He had just one catch for five yards. I mean, this is just pure speculation, Tom. But what percentage could he be in his first game back? And I'm not just talking about coming back from the injury, but the conditioning it requires to get separation, to have any kind of rhythm with Shea Patterson or whoever's playing quarterback. Where You were hoping for more, you would think, out of DPJ in this game. Well, yeah, but if you, once again, let me go back to the statement I just made. If you can't run the football, Nothing else works. No, because you can't. If you can't run the football, you can't throw the football. In my mind, you know, with play action and you know RPO and all that stuff. I mean, you're, you're not. You're, you're becoming so one-dimensional. It, it was throwing by desperation, and they weren't even good at throwing the ball. I mean, it was just an absolute debacle. One of the lower moments because here we figure we had our coach, and it still doesn't work. So we went through Rich Rod. Uh, we had. We had kind of a of a, 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 a sour taste in the back end of the Lloyd Carr era, where he probably did stay there too long, and then you had the Rich Rod debacle, and then you had the Brady Hope, that whole thing, which was embarrassing, and then you had okay, we got uh, here comes our savior, and I was buying in as much as anybody. Everybody and I still was. was. Everybody was. Everybody, Tom, you yeah. weren't alone. Okay, we're, we're all there, 
And so now this happens in year five. I thought in year five, you have all your players. You've gone through multiple coordinators, OCs and DCs, and for that matter, a lot of different coaches since you first started. Mm -hmm. Nothing seems to work. This is why this moment in time in the last 20 years might be the lowest. Wow. Strong words from Tom Crawford as we continue to break down what is a total breakdown by Michigan against Wisconsin that was just clearly superior in every way. Michigan was not even a second-tier team today. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how far they're going to drop in the rankings after this well, one. Well, they better be out of the rankings. I mean, it's, wow. it'd be embarrassing to be. Well, why would they rank it? Well, what have they done this year? Barely Ryan beat Army. Schilling? They barely beat Army. Uh, they, they didn't even look that I mean, they Middle Tennessee State got rolled by Duke. I yeah, mean, yeah. That, there's no quality win in that. No. And here's the thing. Wisconsin did exactly what Michigan wanted to do and perhaps should have done offensively, which is just run the ball down Michigan's throat with Taylor. And in right. addition to that, Jack Cohn, he didn't really have to do anything. He was 13 of 16 through the air, nearly perfect, didn't throw it that much, didn't have to for just 128 yards. But this goes back, like you said, to those old smash mouth days, Tom. Wisconsin dominates line of scrimmage, establishes run, busts open for big splash plays, doesn't really have to throw the ball. This game could have been played in 1979. No, it could have. Well, in 1979, Wisconsin wasn't very good, but it could have been played from the from – from, you know, Barry Alvarez era on sure. any of those. I'm just talking style of play, style of play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Absolutely. And 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 the thing of it is, is that, I mean, I, I saw some, I didn't see all the game, obviously. I'm seeing blips here and there as I'm researching. I'm seeing three-man fronts that Don, Don Brown's thrown against that. I mean, how do you, how, I mean, some of the schematics is baffling to me. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, you had Shea Patterson, bless his heart, and I'm saying that like a Southern person kind of condescendingly, but he said they were going to send a message in Madison. Well, they sent a message. They the message it was, was sent. We suck. Yeah, That's what well, the message Well, I was going to be a little nicer. <laughs> I was going to say SOS, but, uh, you know, the, the, there's trouble in paradise here. But I, I can't imagine right now, and I'm not saying that Dylan McCaffrey is the answer, Tom, but how can the Wolverines going forward from here, even against Rutgers, be confident in Shea Patterson as their starting quarterback. He turns it over all the damn time. No, you can't. You, you turn the ball over, you sit on the bench. I mean, and that's just not Bo Schembechler talk. I mean, that's any any smart coach. So I think you need to shelve him for a while. And, I mean, the, I hate to say this. I mean, you're, you're, you're almost like building for the future because the the when you look at the, the body of work lingering ahead of them of how much repair is required – to get back into a competitive nature against the daunting task ahead of them. I mean, they're going to have to really, really get better to compete. And I mean, just the word compete. Now, the thing about today is, is that now these road games you're talking about, mm -hmm. they're not even competing on the road. They're mm -hmm. not, I mean, it's not like, it's not, I know they're not winning. We know about the 0 and 14 on the road against ranked teams. We know all that, but then now they're not even competing. In fact, they're, they're kind of humiliating themselves. That's when you got a bad situation. Well, the, all the numbers that I rattled off, and you mentioned, you know, year five of Harbaugh. He's got all his own guys in there. We're, we're looking at great rated recruiting classes, athleticism, size across the board, these big stud athletes coming in, and then that you put them on the field on the gridiron between the lines against these better teams, and it's no contest. So where I come to with this, and again, I hate getting aboard these hype trains, Tom, but, but, but today felt different. When I look on that scoreboard and I see Wisconsin 35, Michigan nothing, 
I, you got to start asking questions about Jim Harbaugh. And it's not like I have an answer. It's not like I go, oh, well, if you got rid of Jim Harbaugh, then you hire this guy, that guy, guy over here, Coach X. I don't have an answer. But what is your thought right now on the state of the program, on Jim Harbaugh himself as a head coach, his ability to recruit, prepare, game plan, execute, in-game? Where are you on Jim Harbaugh right now? Well, the biggest thing that you, the biggest word you hit there, prepare, this team wasn't prepared today. So he's not preparing his team to, to compete and to win. Um, obviously, you can't do it. You can't make a change during the season. That's ridiculous. But I think what, right, what, um, and, and this was not going to happen because, you know, because we got Ward Manuel as a head, as the athletic director, he's not going to make a change. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're kind of get stuck in the mud here, I think, for, for the next couple of years, unless something, really goes bad, really goes south. Um, but because when you, I mean, I, I just, I just don't see, I, I don't, it, it, this is not working. His team, you know, it's not working. It, it's just, it's uh, how this worked in Stanford I, I, is mind boggling for me. Maybe I, I, I don't know how it's worked anyway. The way he's, the way he's, uh, the output is played out here from what he has done. When you start looking back at things, and you go back to the Michigan State game in 2015 and some of the decision-making. Yeah. The fact that, uh, you know, J.U. Chesson's out there all by himself and you don't just throw the ball. I mean, his team is just not prepared. If you're not prepared to win uh, you're at Michigan, this is Michigan, for God's sakes. <laughs> this, is a, this is a program that, you know, from revenue, from I, I know it's way back in the day, but from its reputation, Ryan, I mean, it's a brand. It's a pretty solid brand. Let's be real. And it's revenue generation from the athletic department, the resources, the the, the 110,000 fans, the exposure, the branding, the Nike. Hello. If you can't win in Michigan, you kind of suck. Tom, I'm telling you, I'm looking at the schedule like you were just referring to and let's I'm going to I'm going to go best case scenario from the way I look at it. Let's say Rutgers, whatever. They beat Iowa, who's ranked at home. Let's say they beat Michigan State. I, I still think that's a toss-up, but that's in Ann Arbor. They got to go to Happy Valley at Penn State, and we see what this Michigan team does on the road, Jack Squat. They got Notre yeah. Dame at home, and as you mentioned right now, as we're recording this, they're down just 13-10 late in the third quarter at Athens. Then they got At a, Athens. That's yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah, and then they got Ohio State. I mean, I'm looking at a team that, that's going to finish maybe – I think nine and three would be safe. And if 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 you go nine and three and you go to another, you know, outback bowl or whatever and you win or you lose, I mean, you, you're just kind of treading water at this point with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, is that grounds enough for Ward Manuel to consider a change at head coach? Or is that impossible to even consider the way that I think it would be impossible to consider Bill Beekman firing Mark D'Antonio for any reason? You just nailed it. Oh, very well stated. Uh, you're 100% right. I mean, Ward Manuel fire whacking Jim Harbaugh. Are you freaking kidding me? It's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. I mean, I mean, he'd have to have you, – you would have to have players getting in trouble. You'd have to have recruiting violations going on. Um, unless he goes sub 500 a couple of years. And, and, you know, he'll waddle and, you know, he'll hang around the – you know, in, in the middle of the road there at this, this team – you know, I'm a. You know, I, I hate. I'm not going to change my projection. I said 11 and one. Hey, I'm a, There's a. There's a one that win the rest. Let I, I don't ride. do that. Let it ride. That Tom. part. There you go. But keep in mind, and they are in, in, in control of their destiny, right? 
because they run the table, they'll be in Indianapolis. But here's the point. When you look at it, you know, logistically, look at that schedule. I see maybe three more wins. Tom, Tom, this is another number. I, I can't believe I, I mean, you talk about burying the lead here. You and I talking about this game coming in, and I asked you who the key player was going to be. Zach Charbonnet had two carries for six yards. Yeah. yeah. What? What? Yeah. Two I for know. six? Charbonnet? What I is don't that? Know. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish offensively. Um, well, when you can't block anybody, when you're getting blown up, when you're getting visually blown up yeah. by when, – when you watch a football game and you're even – you're not even if even if you're not that knowledgeable about football, and you you can see the visual, the optics of this team in red is abusing this team in white at the line of you know where they snapped the ball every snap. That that that's blatant. They had no answers. Christian Turner led the team in carries with six. No receiver had more than three receptions in this game. So. If if you were going to predict it, and here's what here's my opinion on it. Again, as neutral as I can be on the outside looking in, you got Rutgers coming in next week. You got to lick your wounds, and I'm sure they'll take it out on the Scarlet Knights. But could there not be a better game, Tom, to break in Dylan McCaffrey as the new starting quarterback than an opponent like Rutgers, where he should have success, where he should be able to build confidence, or do you leave that once again to the devices of Shea Patterson to try to get his confidence back because your best chance of winning long-term is with him? Which way do you go? Well, Dylan McCaffrey, didn't he have a concussion today? I didn't see that Did or the after effects of it. Obviously, that would change everything in the protocol, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I read that correctly, um, but he, he, he took a vicious hit, actually a hit where a player should have been rejected, but that's neither here nor there. But um, I, I, I would go with Dylan McCaffrey. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, there, you, you, have, you have credence to, to bench your, your uh, starting quarterback when he's turning the ball over. I mean, that's just fundamental, and that's every game. And he's been hurt. I would, go with Dylan, I would start with Dylan McCaffrey and see against the Rutgers game. But it's really going to be interesting, Ryan, next week in Ann Arbor, the dynamics of that whole stadium. Yeah. Because you're coming off this – this I'll say it. It's one of the worst losses in recent memory because of expectation and how how bad they got abused, and and people had warned. Here we go again, Michigan on the road, and the and the same thing happened. Yeah. And and they and they challenged themselves that we're gonna we're going to make a statement, and they and they got blown up. I mean, okay, that crowd is gonna be so flat. It's gonna be yeah. un. Freaking believable. And again, a point like Rutgers doesn't exactly fire up a Wolverine home. No, and so what's going to do is they're they're going to be thirsty to boo and 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 to mm. and to melt down and mm. to and to and to you know unleash their frustration. Again, Wisconsin led thirty-five nothing early in the second half. It probably could have been worse. I think they took their foot off the gas a little because they could, and that's embarrassing. That's flat. That is yeah. flat out, Tom. That is an embarrassing loss in performance by Michigan. There's no way around it. Uh, you can't. You once again, Michigan fans got to look at it and say, you know, when you look at your team, you you can't defend them. You you can't even defend the program right now. Not in terms of is it you know these are good kids. I mean they're they're the good kids and everything, but you can't defend them in terms of what they're doing on the field. They're just the product. You know the quality that you, the the expectation that we had is it's not there. Can't win the big game. Cannot win the big game. And Michigan again. Uh, 
will be home against Rutgers coming up uh, next Saturday. That'll be uh, televised time to be determined. You're listening to the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. It's brought to you twice a week by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Again, the music that you hear to begin and end each podcast is supplied by Heather Ferrari, our good friend. She's the owner of the Record Lounge just south of I-496 on South Washington in the Rio Town marketplace. All the latest and greatest on vinyl, all the old-time classics as well, the funk, the soul, the R&B that Tom loves, and the 80s new wave rock that I love. They've got it all. Take a stroll back through time and catch up on the newest in vinyl as well. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Okay, we've covered the bad and the ugly for Michigan in their 35-14 loss to Wisconsin. Now we turn to the good. For Michigan State fans, this had to be a pleasant surprise in many ways. I know it was to me. Not that they necessarily beat Northwestern, but how they beat Northwestern, how they dominated Northwestern, how they controlled the game. There were still some issues with penalties. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but Tom Crawford actually almost nailed this score uh, right on the head as Michigan State wins it. I Uh, did nail that score. I I said 31-10. Actually, you did. I'm sorry, Tom. You were right on the money. You you were a soothsayer. Isn't this weird? You were right exactly now on Michigan State, Northwestern, and I was right that Wisconsin would win and cover against Michigan, but I I didn't have it being a blowout. So Yeah. I guess, yeah. you know, opposites attract there, kind of Paul Abdul style. But, yeah, 31-10 the final. Uh, Michigan State never really in doubt. They, they led this game 31-3 to at one point. And, you know, it seems to play out this way. And this is where, you know, I cringe as a Michigan State fan watching these games because you see the first series, and we saw this a lot last year. It looks great. It's scripted. It's organized. They get a touchdown. They're up 7 nothing, And then they hit the skids from that point forward, Tom. They punt. They punt. They punt. They punt until they score a touchdown right at the end of the half. It just seems like they got a game plan coming in. They got an idea. They know what they want to do. They know what they want to establish. And maybe they do on that opening drive. It was the same exact story against Tulsa. And then second drive comes around and uh, they hit a wall. So, I mean, at least early on, this took on the flavor of a lot of games we've seen from Michigan State on offense. Yeah, and the reason that I knew that Michigan State was going to win comfortably 31-10 was the fact that, first of all, I thought they'd be all, you know, irritated and agitated with themselves after what happened with at the Arizona State game. I knew their defense would be very difficult for Northwestern to move the ball. Bottom line is Northwestern's not very good. I watched them against UNLV, and UNLV ran on them. Um, they, they went out to Palo Alto and lost to a Stanford team, and it's absolutely been a piece of crap ever since. Yeah. I mean, Northwestern is not a very good – this is not one of Pat Fitzgerald's better teams. He's got a good, some good defensive players, but Hunter Johnson's not getting it done, uh, and he's a second-string quarterback. So I think this was a good win for Michigan State, but I, I think they have a zero chance of beating Wisconsin – and Ohio State, and maybe even zero chance of being competitive in those games. Wow, wow. Even after a win like this, you say that. I mean, and here's the thing. I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Tom, but from what you and I have seen so far from Wisconsin and Ohio State, we, we thought big one, little 13, but I'm believing more and more it's big two, little 12, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and everybody else. Well, you know, and so when I make that statement about Michigan State, not competing with Wisconsin and Ohio State. There's two couple reasons for that. Both of those are on the road. Good luck with that concept. And the other thing is that those two teams are that good. Yes. I mean, Michigan State could be, could have a a pretty good uh, team this season. I mean, if they get the penalties, uh, you know, consistently down, they hold on the football, the work, he gets proficiency a little bit more and their running game 
if that can ratchet up much more than it has been, then they'll be pretty good. But I don't see that happening, and that's three losses right there. Um, and let alone, and you know, if 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 they get a fourth loss, or if they don't get a fourth loss when they go to Ann Arbor on November sixteenth. I got to talk about the individual play of Joe Bocci in this game, Tom. I mean, the stats jump off the page alone. He had 14 total tackles, 13 solo, a sack, two tackles for loss, two passes defended, an interception, a quarterback hurry. I mean, this was the Joe Bocci that everybody expected coming into this season, and it makes me just boil over with frustration once again as to where was he on fourth and 13, if you're going to have a spy on Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for Arizona State on fourth and 13, wouldn't that be Joe Bocci? <laughs> you can't let that game go, can you? Ryan? No, oh no, oh no, no, I cannot. That's what I'm saying is Bocci has an amazing performance today. You know what he can do. And it's not like the guy's going to be perfect. I understand that. But on the one big play at the end of the game, you stop him, you win. Pachi was supposed well, to be think, the spy, right? I mean, he had to be. Yeah. Well, and maybe, I mean, I think Arizona State's better than Northwestern. I just don't think Northwestern's very good. Right. Um, I wish North, I wish Michigan was playing them this year. Man, there's a team that they could beat. But, um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I think this was a good win. D'Antonio gets gets his, uh, you know, most wins, and that's cool. And uh, and then they play, they'll beat up on Indiana next week. And then we'll really find out what they're about. Uh, when they play and, and uh, in Wisconsin, Ohio State, because I think, I mean, Michigan's offensive line is horrendous. Michigan State's not real, offensive line is not really good either. And it'll be interesting to see if Michigan State can run the football against the Badgers or Buckeyes. I would say that Michigan State's offensive line today was decent. <clears throat> Elijah Collins averaged four and a half yards per carry, 17 totes for 76 yards and a score. And a lot of those runs, it, it was his vision. It was his cutting it was his ability that enabled him to stretch out plays that I just don't think Connor Hayward can do or even Ladarius Jefferson. I, I like what I've seen from Anthony Williams at times as a potential kind of guy that might rise up the depth chart. But Collins, again, was the linchpin running back, as he should be. He had 17 of the team's 40 carries, nearly half, and was very solid in that regard. But I think the big story coming out of this is twofold. Yeah, Cody White fumbled, muffed a punt. That was frustrating. But he got back involved in this game as the yin to the yang of Daryl Stewart, who had another solid performance. Stewart, five catches, 77 yards. Cody White, four grabs, 70 yards, a score. And again, the quick hitters from Brian Lewerke. I think this is it. Tempo on offense, quick hitters. Don't put much pressure on the offensive line. They have to protect Lewerke. Exactly. Lewerke completes just shy of 60% of his passes, 18 for 31, only average seven and a half yards on his passes, but threw for three touchdowns, two of those to Matt Seibert, tight end. So those quick looks, those quick slants, those quick reads. I mean, Lewerke in the pocket today, he, he took those, you call them, Tom, the, the Tom Brady sidestep to just buy yourself that extra half second. Lewerke did that today, made the throws, looked much crisper. And if he plays like that going forward, I'm not saying they're going to go into Columbus or Madison and get wins, but they're at least going to have a chance to be competitive because that's the quarterback that Michigan State needs. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, it reminds me of when Michigan State, Offensive line is in the, has been flawed in the past. Certain coaches have done certain things. 
back in the, in the Dave Urema era, I think it was in the 80s, their line couldn't pass block anybody. So what they did, they just rolled them out. They <laughs> just rolled them out to buy more time. Same thing, I think you're you're spot on with the quick hitters. That's how you offset a, a, an offensive line that can't block. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the ball as fast as you freaking can. Yeah. And I think, it's good. I think that could work. So Michigan State in this game, I mean, by the numbers, not great. Uh, penalties, not as big of an issue. They had five for 47. They did force turnovers there and three interceptions. Hunter Johnson was riddled in this game. Aiden Smith looked completely lost. So if Pat Fitzgerald had lost confidence in Johnson, which, by the way, that he performed, I can understand why, to put Smith in there, and he's throwing lame ducks everywhere, including two picks, the Wildcats are going to be hurting. I mean, we talked about how they lost their starting quarterback for the year, and then Hunter Johnson, you know, this is a highly rated quarterback, Tom. It might be the best quarterback recruit that Northwestern's ever had. Oh, without question. Yeah. Without question. So, Absolutely. So eventually you think the kid's going to be good, but you, you could watch it. He was green not only behind the ears, but between the gills. <laughs> this one against Michigan well, State. Well, and he's going against Michigan State, one yeah. of the better defenses in the country. So, I mean, I mean, that, that was another reason why I thought that Michigan State would roll today. Spartans do get the win, and again, a better performance from Lewerke in this one. Time of possession was nearly equal. Uh, you know, penalties, I, I guess they're just going to happen for this team, but the, the thing that I'm looking for them to cut down on are the unforced errors. You know, you're going to get a holding penalty downfield. Guy trying to make a play. Let's say a receiver, and this happened in the game, trying to spring loose a run, but the pre-snap penalties where you're disorganized, and it, it, these are the things that Michigan State needs to cut down on. And I think, again, we got a glimpse. This has really been Jekyll and Hyde so far this year, Tom, because I was not impressed at all. The offense against Tulsa uh, was impressed against Western Michigan, but we determined that to be fool's gold. Arizona State was an abomination. I mean, I, I don't think it was as bad as the loss that Michigan had to Wisconsin today, but it was bad. And then again today, offense looks crisper. It, it's just they're not consistent. They're Jekyll and Hyde. They're up and down. They've got Indiana, as you mentioned, coming to East Lansing this next week. And th- this is an important game because it sets themselves up in so many ways for that that tough back-to-back road trip contingency of Columbus. And then not only do they have to go to Madison the following week, Tom, then they do get a bye. Penn State comes to town after that. So, I mean, uh, the rubber hits the road after this game against Indiana. Oh yeah, that's a that's a crazy schedule. Um, yeah, the, you're you're right about the Indiana game. I mean, uh, they, it's not like they just have to win the game. They had to really perform well and have that back to back good output, um, and 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 get the crowd back into it so that they can go to those two destinations with some level of confidence offensively. I know they help confidence defensively, but that offense has to ex- execute. And you're right, Daryl Stewart is the constant in that aerial game on the receiving end. But, you know, he's going to have to get more help from his friends. And and Cody White is that perfect friend to do that. You know, I'm still very concerned, and I never thought I would say this, about Matt Coughlin. And for Michigan State, we know how these games can get. A, a field goal here and a field goal there, that could be the difference between what might be a 10-2 and two season and a 7-5, season. He missed another chippy today a short field goal he would make another one later and maybe that'll help him turn things around but he had had a streak I believe Tom of like 17 consecutive made field goals and then he misses four in a row and you have to wonder if maybe it's between his ears a little bit uh kickers are that's a freak show (laughs) I mean you don't know what's going through their minds Um, I mean he, he could turn it around it's like anything else like fishing or playing golf 
I mean, sometimes you you get in a bad run. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it is. You shank it, and then it gets in your head, and you keep doing it. Yeah. And then maybe you try to overcorrect it, and it goes the other way. And here, here's just hoping that Coughlin can get it straightened out, and that Michigan State again can continue to build on what they did offensively in this game. So let's talk history now, because unfortunately. Uh, Mark D'Antonio was not able to accomplish the feat last week against Arizona State, but he passes Duffy Doherty for all-time wins, comes off that difficult loss with what I thought was a very solid performance, and I'm talking in terms of preparation, execution, emotional level when I saw the Spartans take the field. The, the way that they played this game start to finish, it, it was a nice rebound for a team that had been challenged Tom in a lot of ways during this off you know in between week after the Arizona State loss when everybody was questioning everything on offense yeah and and, and, and the other perfect storm of this is getting away from Spartan Stadium and going on the road yet you have a bunch of your fans there anyway my my two daughters were at the game today and they said it was just a dominating Spartan fan base there that took over the stadium um, even when it was still in doubt, and uh, I mean that, that that it was it was a perfect and the payback thing. I mean they're not gonna they're not gonna lose Northwestern four straight times. I mean it was just it was all lined up. All the stars were lined up to have a a nice cozy comfy win, and they got it done. And it's the offense, so that's the key. If they can, if Brian Lewerke can be consistent, um, and 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 you know and and do much better than he did today. I thought he he did all right. Um, but um, he, he's going to have to take it up several levels against the competition that lies ahead. It's about that. There's no doubt about it. And the turnover margin, which is so important for Michigan State, they don't have a lot of margin for error on offense. The only turnover they had was on special teams. And if I'm not mistaken, Northwestern went for it on fourth down and was rejected by the Michigan State defense. So that didn't even turn into points. So, again, MSU able to get the job done defensively. Um, Mark D'Antonio sets the standard for wins in Michigan State football history. I got to go to the, uh, unfortunately, this is a topic, Tom, and I want to get your thoughts on it. The Dan Murphy story that ran in ESPN where um, you have a, a former employee for Michigan State suing uh, the university. Curtis Blackwell, I guess with nothing to lose, coming out in a story with ESPN, basically calling out behind closed doors conversations that were had about Austin Robertson and whether or not he should come to Michigan State. There was dissension within the ranks. There were a couple of assistants, according to Blackwell, who were against the concept from the beginning. There was one, according to Blackwell, that said, I don't want that guy on the same campus as my daughter who attended Michigan State University, that D'Antonio overruled him, that D'Antonio decided to give Austin Robertson a second chance. He did issue a statement to the degree that he could because there is pending litigation by Blackwell against Michigan State. But my question for you is twofold on Blackwell. One, why come out with this? What, what's the modus operandi? What is the purpose of this? And does this blacklist him? Because, you know, here he is a whistleblower on something like this from ever getting a coaching job again in the college ranks. Well, I mean, what if he was in the right? I mean, I mean, I mean, what if all that was true about all? I mean, I heard rumblings this week that Mark Hollis had warned Mark D'Antonio about Austin Robertson. Don't take that kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I go back. I, we're at the Jack Evelyn and I were at the Blue Gale Grill, and and it was announced that Austin Robertson was going to come to Michigan State. And at the time, he had a rec, uh, he had a um, a couple incidences or something going on, you know, accusations in high school of of this type of activity. I mean, Michigan State was on a roll with quality kids 
you know, and the and and, and, and you know, hard nosed kids, and and not have them go after the high caliber four and five star players. Okay, and, that, and so they dipped into that bucket, and look it, and look what happened. I mean, and, and, the, and the other thing is, what what what's what's that? It backfired. Absolutely, it backfired. I think it backfired in a lot of ways, and when they had the formula down, and so. Um, I mean, people, you know, Michigan State fans, I mean, you're going to get some D'Antonio Michigan State fans that that dude can do no wrong. And they're they're going to look at this this thing with Curtis. Oh, there's a money grab. We don't know. Let's let the thing play out. But in, 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 you know, whatever type of legal activity or uh, or verdict comes out of this thing, this lawsuit and and find out. Let's get to the truth and find out. And see, here's the here's the rub, the the pressure in all of this, Tom. You nailed it on the head earlier. When Michigan State was building in that after that 2012 season to 2013, and they go to the Rose yep. Bowl and they win it in 2014 and 15, and they go back to back Cotton Bowls, and they and they get this bigger profile. Now all of a sudden, instead of having to scoop to use your metaphor from the bucket of like three stars and below, they have access to four and five stars. However. Maybe it's the fringe four and five stars that Ohio State, Alabama go, nah, we're not going to take a chance on the kid. Or Michigan right. even, nah, I'm going to take a chance on the kid. But lo and behold, oh, here's Michigan State rubbing their hands together. We can get a four or five star like Austin right. Robertson or Malik McDowell. Or you go down the list of like, Donnie Corley and you know, guys like this. And, and it seems like almost everyone they went after that was of, of that caliber, again, just backfired on them. And so a return to the formula we see a little bit more maybe mediocre athleticism. We see the record fall. I mean, which way do Michigan State fans want it here? I mean, are you going to roll the dice, take chances on these problem kids that are very talented and, and, and have what happened with Austin Robertson? Or is 9-3 and going to be good enough if you've got a group of good kids? That's a very difficult question to answer because I think fans, they want to have their cake and eat it well, too. Well, yeah, I, I see what happens. I, th I think when people think, hey, uh, maybe the program thinks this way. We're doing really good with this, and what if we just add a few of these these four and five stars with these three star great character kids, blah 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 blah, uh, hardworking kids, grinders, power football. Think of how good we'll be then. Well, you know what? Your brain, you 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 can't have it both ways. Ask Wisconsin. Yep. You know, look what they do. They don't they don't have top ten recruiting classes. Look what happened today in Madison. So I think Michigan State needs to. Stick to their identity. I mean, they had that identity identity thing going on for a long time, and now the problem is that school as a whole has got another identity, and it's not a good identity. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean, and you know exactly what I mean. No, I do. And at, at the school as a whole, with the Nasser case and some of these other things that are going have been going on. So I I, I think right now I, I I'm not going to con. I mean, do I think it's the money grab, or do I think it's if there's some credence to it? Let's let the courts or whatever, whoever decision makers on this, figure it out, and then we'll go on from there. We'll let it play out. But th there's a guy that you're familiar with, and he's the biggest talk show host in Detroit, and he gets a lot of listens and clicks and hot takes, etc. And I don't have anything personally against Mike Valeni, but something he said this week just blew my mind in terms of its denseness and ignorance, and and I don't know if he was just doing it to troll people. But, you know, he's talking about after the lost Arizona State, ah, it's time for the Mark D'Antonio era to end. The game's passed him by. Why don't we hire a guy like Bob Stoops? And I'm just thinking, do you remember at all, Mike Valeni, Joe Mixon and him punching a girl at a restaurant yeah. on video that was swept under the rug? You're going to bring Bob Stoops 
into East Lansing after everything you just mentioned, Tom? I, I couldn't even believe that was a take. Well, he's just going. I mean, I think with Mike, I mean, he is trying to. He, I mean, he's trying to you know grab attention to his, his listenership and, and get people to react and think. And I understand that. And maybe he does believe that. I mean, Bob Stoops is that name that lingers out there. He's available and he's a big name. Got to get the big name. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I think the Michigan State fans and Mich- and De- and Mike Blenny is a Michigan State fan. So it doesn't really surprise me at all. I I just think it's still it's still too early with everything that Mark D'Antonio has accomplished, all the capital that he's built on the field with accomplishments, championships, uh, playoff appearance that you know, that you're going to jump the gun on when this guy should go and when you should pour dirt on his grave. I just think we're not there yet. We'll see how the season plays out. They've got Indiana coming up. And again, that's in East Lansing uh, to be determined on the time and the televised uh, access there. But a big win for MSU in the way that they did it. Um, I want to end our Michigan State discussion with this 31-10 win, Tom. I was told by a couple of sources that there was a players-only meeting on Monday for the Spartans. And we're talking three games into the season. And my feeling is they're like, we're not letting this happen again. What happened last year, maybe guys are calling each other out. Coaches aren't in there to intervene. I'm assuming Joe Bocci takes the lead in this conversation to a large degree. Guys like Kenny Willekes, guys like Raquan Williams, guys like Brian Lewerke. It, it seems to have brought the team together. And it's not that there was a fracture or fissure in the team necessarily, but you could see if this continued with the press conferences Mark D'Antonio had and what he was revealing, that you couldn't help as a human being on that Michigan State defense to start to feel resentment if the offense didn't start doing its job. Oh, yeah. When in doubt, go to the infamous <laughs> players only meeting. <laughs> <laughs> right. They always work, right? <laughs> well, this one seems like it did, I guess. I don't yeah, know. I think it did. You know what? And it was probably warranted. I mean, that was a, that was a disappointing loss for Michigan State on so many fronts. Uh, and, and, and then getting caught up in the officiating aspect of it too. And, and a lot of that was warranted, obviously. So I think it worked. And, and I, I, some, I mean, when, when is too many times to have that players only meeting, you got you, cause it, it loses its credibility if you do it too often, but you're right. I think it was warranted and, 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 and it, I mean, the evidence was it, it certainly worked this past week. And the, and the big leaders, they came to play. We talked about Bocce's performance leading the team across the board and, and tackles and defensive plays made and big plays made. I mean, he seems like to be in the middle of the fray on everything, and it was a very solid, if not spectacular, performance by Brian Lewerke. They needed that from him, 18 of 31, 228 yards, three touchdowns, no picks in this game. And again, credit where credit is due. And Tom mentioned it early, not a great Northwestern team, but an offensive line performance by MSU that was markedly improved. And we'll see what they can do against Indiana. I expect they'll do well. And we'll have that preview coming up for you in our midweek podcast coming up. Uh, Rutgers comes to Ann Arbor. Michigan tries to regroup. Indiana comes to East Lansing to face Michigan State. And again, we'll have a preview of those two games coming up midweek on Wednesday. Final thought, Tom Crawford. A uh, final thought uh, for me is uh, constant head scratching all weekend long, trying to figure out where this Michigan team is going. And uh, I'm, I'm probably more discouraged than I've been uh, in the last, say, 13 years. Okay, I, I got to follow up on what you just said, because I think you're one of the more sane, rational, level-headed, reasoned Michigan fans that I know. And you're an alum. <laughs> well, thank you. You're not a Walmart Wolverine. You've got a degree from the place. But 
with the <laughs> with the instant reaction knee jerk society twitterverse that we have right now how many fans in the michigan fan base by percentage do you think right now are out on jim harbaugh when you say when in define out does that mean they want him fired they're, or they're just destroyed? Uh, i would say that they're done with him they don't believe him in anymore Oh, I'd say right now, after today, 75%. Wow. 75% do not believe in Jim Harbaugh. That is staggering. That um, that's just my opinion, because, and that's just reaction on my own little, my own little um, you know, survey of people in my, my circle of influence of Michigan people. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm feeling it within myself. I mean, right now I have zero confidence in him. Zero. Because, I mean, look at the, this, this, the optics of the 2019 Michigan season so far has been horrible. Just the way they look. I'm not talking about a two-in-one record. I'm talking about the way they look. Mm -hmm. They look horrible. Well, on that note, of course, Michigan falls in Madison, 35-14. The Spartans win at Northwestern, 31-10. And that'll do it for us from here for now. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling. The sound you hear as we go out on the Great Lakes Divide podcast brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town and the Rio Town Marketplace. Our thanks to Heather Frari, owner of the Record Lounge, for her support of this program and for your support in listening. Be sure to tell your friends, subscribe, download, listen. We appreciate your support. and We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Have a great week, everybody. Cruel, cruel world must I go on. been living too fast I've been living too wrong Cruel, cruel world I'm gone This big old world you got me running round Heard a voice it told me settle down With the moonlight as my guide and this feeling deep inside